Welcome to the SMC 2022 podcast. 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave an invitation that changed the world. Come, follow me. Today, we have the same invitation. What is happening, SMC Breakout listeners? My name is Rob Blankenship, coming at you guys from Stillwater, Oklahoma, where I work for Sumo at Oklahoma State and at the University of Tulsa. Uh, So pumped to be here with you guys today. I love SMC. I'm wearing my SMC shirt from last year right now at the time of this recording. And man, I know for a lot of you guys, you're probably listening to this on the back end of your SMC experience. And I just want to say, I hope that you have had an unbelievable SMC. That SMC has just been this incredible time of growth and maybe just the time for you to answer some of the questions that you have about God and the Bible. Uh, Today, if you are joining in on this breakout, this is back to the beginning, mankind's origin story. And I don't know how many of you guys are Marvel fans. I know there's a lot of you guys out there. I kind of have this hot take that not everybody agrees with. I actually think that the Harry Potter series is better than the Marvel series. I realize not everyone agrees with that, but felt the need to get that out there here at the beginning of the podcast. Um, But here's what I do know about Marvel is that every hero has an origin story. They all do. Captain America, he is like this noble, weak guy that is made strong. He like gets this chemical experimentation that happens, makes him really strong, so then he's humble, even once he gains strength. Hulk, he's this this scientist who tragically kind of gains this power through an experiment gone awry. And so then afterwards, he's kind of wrestling with this newfound power and the way that it controls him, and he doesn't want that. Iron Man, he's this arrogant genius who is humbled through his inventions being used by terrorists and really affecting people that he cares about. And so, you know, I'm not the biggest Marvel guy, so if I've kind of butchered those origin stories, I'm sorry, that wasn't the goal. But but you get the idea. The origin story, it frames everything. It's this process by which we come to understand a character and it becomes a sort of unconscious filter for the rest of the story and how we view that person. And I really think that that's true with the Bible. That in the Bible, Genesis tells this origin story of mankind and the universe. And it has a ton of implications for how we view ourselves, other people, the story of the Bible, and even God himself. That there is just a ton of weight to this. And yet, at the same time, there's also loads of questions. I have a buddy that I was talking to just yesterday, and he was telling me about how in one of his classes, his professor took the first three weeks of the class to disprove the Bible and that they even were quizzed on it. But here's what's amazing is this was his business law class. It's not even like, you know, it wasn't genetics or something. It was business law. And I think for many people, they've had an experience like that, whether that's in college or or outside of that, that there's just a lot of voices that are kind of against what the Bible would have to say about this area and others. And I know in regard to creation specifically, many of the questions that people have are scientific. Like doesn't science or doesn't evolution disprove the Bible? Isn't evolution just a scientific fact at this point? And where are dinosaurs in the Bible? Like, how is that not mentioned? Or like, couldn't the creation story just be a metaphor? Like, does it have to be literal? 
And I just think there's so many legitimate questions when it comes to this topic. And so I'm going to do my best to speak to as many as I can. I'm not going to be able to answer everything. And so here's what I want to do. I want to answer some of those questions that I've just raised, but I also want to just teach you guys how to address questions like this in general, and then how to use those principles to address these particular questions. So I'm going to teach you guys how to think about questions like this, and then use those principles to address the questions that, that we can today. And so first off, I think a lot of people have this common conception that science and religion or science and spirituality are like these two opposing forces. Like since the beginning of time, it's like science and religion. They kind of compete to explain the world. And I don't think that's true. I don't think that's a good representation of, of how those two fit together. One reason, I just think there's an awesome history of famous scientists that believe the Bible and made scientific discoveries in part because of their desire to explore God's creation. Maybe you've heard of some of these people. Gregor Mendel, he was a monk. He's the father of modern genetics. Johannes Kepler, he, he discovered the laws of planetary motion. Isaac Newton, you've probably heard his name. He discovered Newton's laws, gravity. He was the co-discoverer of calculus, which if you've had calculus since getting to college, maybe you're like, dude, Newton, you should have left that one out. But, but he contributed in a lot of different ways. Michael Faraday. He made a number of major contributions to magnetism and electricity. Louis Pasteur, he's the father of bacteriology. He's the one who discovered the process of pasteurization, which is why we drink milk like we do today. If you had milk with your cereal this morning, you have him in part to thank. And so there's loads of, of people throughout history that have made major contributions to science because of their desire to explore God's creation. And, and really, as we think about this, it's kind of like, Man, because God designed the universe, science helps us understand him and helps us understand his design. And when he talks about his world in his word, it's not going to contradict that. He's not going to be wrong in talking about his world and his creation when he does talk about it. And so, in fact, as, as believers, we really believe that there's never going to be contradictions between science and the Bible because God created the world and he's not going to be wrong about it when he talks about it. And so science, it actually helps us to understand the Bible better. It helps us to understand God better. And so when we bump into apparent contradictions, that's going to be one of two things. It'll either be one, us misunderstanding the Bible, making it say something that it's not saying, which has totally happened in the past, or it's us thinking something is true scientifically that turns out not to be true. And so that's kind of the way that we, we think about those two and how they relate together. They're, they're not contradictory. They're complementary. Science and religion help each other. At the same time, the Bible is not a science textbook. That's not the purpose. Like when somebody is writing in the Bible, they're not trying to explain the scientific world. It's a story about God and the way that he creates and relates with his people. And so we don't want to use the Bible to do something or to say something that it's not trying to say. So what, what the Bible is silent on, let's let it be silent on. Let's not make it force. Let's not force the Bible to speak to that, but it definitely does say things that speak to our understanding of the world. And when it does that, we know that those things are true and we can rely on those. And so as believers, we use what's there to gain understanding 
and don't manipulate the Bible to speak about anything that it doesn't talk about. And so that's kind of how to think about that tension between religion and science. And so now we're going to zoom out. We're going to use that process for any question like this. And so I'm going to use that way of thinking, those principles to speak to evolution, to whether or not the creation story could be a metaphor to dinosaurs. And so we'll use those to answer those different questions. And so first off, we got the burning question, the question of evolution. I know a ton of people are wondering about this. I don't know. Maybe you guys have been to a talk like this or read an article or something where it's like this big burning question that you just really want to know the answer to. And then the speaker gives a, just a cop out non-answer. That is so frustrating. And let me just reassure you now, that is not what is going to happen today. I'm going to tell you guys exactly what I think as we look at the evidence together. And so evolution, first off, we need to be specific about what we're talking about. When people say the word evolution, that can refer to a couple different things. Uh, first off is microevolution. So microevolution is basically just natural selection. And here's what that means. Microevolution is this idea that if you have a creature or you got an animal and it is more suited for its environment, it's going to do better. It's going to be more likely to reproduce or have more offspring. And it's going to pass those good qualities on. So, you know, a bird with a longer beak is better at getting worms out of holes. And over time, those birds, that population of birds gets longer beaks because those longer beaked guys do better. That's not in conflict with the Bible at all. That's not a problem. On the other hand, there's something called macroevolution. So macroevolution is a, is a few steps further. It's the same thing as the theory of evolution. It's the theory that all life descended from a single simple organism, which kind of spontaneously came into existence. And so this is actually going to conflict with the creation story of the Bible in a number of ways. That's, that's kind of got a, a few red flags there. Um, but first, I just want to speak to this from the lens of science. I know for a lot of you guys, it can feel like the theory of evolution is just a scientific fact. And I just want to at least address it from that lens first. And so let's, let's play out this hypothetical. If you are hoping to prove evolution beyond a shadow of a doubt, where would you turn? What would you be able to use to convincingly show the reality of evolution. I think the only real answer is the fossil record. The fossil record, the fossils that we have is a physical evidence for what's actually happened. And so when we start talking about evolution in the context of the fossil record, that changes the conversation from something intuitive, something that's primarily, hey, what, what makes sense, what seems to have happened, so now this is a conversation about what does history actually demonstrate? And so here's what the theory of evolution would predict in terms of the fossil record. If you're able to close your eyes, close your eyes. If you're driving, it's not a big deal. Don't, don't close your eyes and try to drive or anything right now. Basically, it's this. The theory of evolution would say, hey, all of life starts with one thing. You got one little simple organism in the beginning. And as time passes and this guy reproduces and there's kind of some random mutations that happen in its genetics, that now after a period of time, you actually have a second different species. You have a, a, a different distinct 
species. And so what was one species is now two, two different creatures. And so as more time passes, two becomes three, three becomes six, six becomes 10, 20, 40, like it, it increases like that over time. And so with enough time and enough just kind of random chance, you get more and more species. And so life becomes more complex. We get more species, more variation over time. But here's kind of our golden question is, what do we actually see? Like, is that what the fossil record shows? Is that what history tells us happens? Well, the answer is no. It's actually really different than that. Scientists refer to this kind of interesting difference as the Cambrian explosion. And so here's what that means. The Cambrian, that word, that comes from the Cambrian era. It's a period of time. And it's described as an explosion because instead of this gradual development of all species and all life kind of becoming more diverse over time, we just have every species generally explode into the fossil record at the same time. And so instead of this gradual development, we just have everything appear in history in this one moment, in this one band of time. And here's what's interesting too. I mean, this is this is kind of a side point, but but something I thought was really interesting is in the Cambrian era, those fossils are found primarily in sedimentary rock, which, you know, throw back with me to your fourth grade science class, sedimentary rock is is formed primarily through water pressure and like this this pressure of this different sediment. Well, if you look at the Bible, that's actually matches up pretty well with what we'd expect with the flood. That there's one period of history where a ton of life dies and there's this massive water pressure. It forms a ton of fossils from one period of time. And so it's interesting that that actually matches up pretty well with what we'd expect out of the flood in the Bible. But I don't want you guys to just take that from me. I want you to hear this from a number of different sources. Listen to these quotes. I pulled these quotes from all kinds of different places, all kinds of experts in this area. This one, this first one is from Richard Dawkins. He's an evolutionary biologist. He's a very outspoken atheist. He says this, he says the Cambrian rocks are the oldest in which we find most of the major invertebrate groups. And we find many of them already in an advanced state of evolution. The very first time they appear, it is though they were just planted there without any evolutionary history. Listen to this next one. It says this. It says most new species appear in the record suddenly and are not led up to by known, gradual, completely transitional sequences. That's George Gaylord Simpson. He's a paleontologist at Columbia University. He's at the American Museum of Natural History. He's at the Museum of Comparative Zoology at Harvard. He's got a lot of different titles there. This next one says this, it says no real evolutionist uses the fossil record as evidence in favor of the theory of evolution as opposed to special creation or creation by God. That's Mark Ridley from Oxford. He's an evolutionary zoologist. Colin Patterson, he says this, he says, if I knew of any evolutionary transitions, fossil or living, I would certainly have included them in my book. I'll lay it on the line. There is not one such fossil for which one could make a watertight argument. There he's talking about transitional fossils, why there aren't more examples of 
transitional fossils between species. He says there's not there's not a single one that you could make a watertight argument for. The last one from Charles Darwin, the guy that coined the theory of evolution himself, he says this. He says the number of intermediate varieties must be truly enormous. Why then is not every geological formation full of such links? Geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic chain, and this perhaps is the most obvious and serious objection which can be argued against this theory. He says, why is not every single rock formation full of transitional fossils? Why are they not all just loaded with all of these these guys that were in transition from one species to another? He says, they're just not there. At the time, Charles Darwin acknowledged that this was one of the significant problems with the theory of evolution. And he assumed that with more research and more time, that the fossil record would be better developed, that we would have a better idea and better sense of, of where those fossils were. And as time has passed, that hasn't happened. It's still a major, major problem with the theory of evolution. And so, you know, this breakout is not just me trying to disprove evolution from a scientific lens, but, but I do want you guys to know that the theory of evolution is not an established fact that the scientific community is very aware of that. And they're, they're speaking to that. But for many of us, it just feels like it is. We've all felt that. And so I wanted us to first be able to address it from that lens. But also, I want us to look at this from a biblical lens. That as believers, we look to the Bible as our source of truth about the world. And so let's look to the Bible to see what it does say about the beginnings of our world and whether evolution could fit into that or not. And so as we look at that together, there's actually a few red flags that kind of come up with this. And so I'll run through them. Here's our first red flag. God in the Bible is described as the creator. So in the theory of evolution, the primary driving force behind evolution is random chance. It's random chance that over time there's random mutations. There's just stuff that happens and life develops and becomes more diverse through that. But, but when you have an individual who's responsible for what happens, who is a designer, who is a creator, then that takes the chance out of it. And it totally changes the driving force. We're not really talking about evolution anymore. We're just talking about an individual creating something in a strange process of all these different attempts at creating something. The Bible also paints this picture of him being intimately and personally involved. Genesis one twenty five says this, it says, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And he saw that it was good. And so it doesn't seem like he could have just gotten the ball rolling or something. And then evolution happened through random chance after that. It just seems too different from what the Bible's describing. It seems like we see this process where God is personally intimately involved with the individual things that are created and the, the different characteristics that they have. So that's our first red flag. Our second red flag is that mankind is created in God's image. Genesis one twenty seven. it says this, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so man bears the image of God. Man is not just an impressive animal 
with with some different characteristics that kind of evolved over time. But but the Bible would say that mankind is different. It's set apart for a unique purpose. It was distinct in creation. Genesis 2, Genesis 2.7 talks about the special creation of man, that there's a, a distinct separate creation for mankind than for other things. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And so, you know, as we look to the theory of evolution, here's what we would expect. Here's what evolution is going to predict. That you have these increasingly complex apes, basically. And you have this almost human ape for a few generations. And then, boom, there's this extra nice mutation. And now this is a man. And he gets God's image. He becomes made in God's image with one especially nice random mutation. It just doesn't seem to fit. Man being made in God's image sets him apart as distinct. And that we, we kind of have no reason to believe that that's something that a person could have just received through an evolutionary process. It seems like a distinct separate thing that was created that way. And so that's our, our second red flag is mankind being created in God's image. And our third red flag is that evolution requires a ton of so-called attempts at creation. So if we're imagining a world where God is using evolution to create things, it's this really strange picture. Because if, as we've mentioned before, evolution would say that after millions of years and loads of generations, it's now this thing has become different enough to be a new species. But here's how the Bible describes creation. Genesis 1.25, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And so if we're saying, hey, did God use evolution to create the world? Here's what we're saying is we are reading the Bible to say, when it says God made the beasts of the earth, then what it's really saying is God, after 234,895,612 attempts, God made a mouse and it worked. And that just doesn't seem to fit. It just, it just does not seem to fit the story of the Bible creation. It seems to be a process by which God speaks and the thing comes to be. His words, they have tremendous power. They take immediate effect. It's just hard to imagine tons of attempts at that mouse meshing in with the way the Bible seems to talk about it. And so those are some of the red flags we see both from a biblical perspective, but also just from a scientific side about why evolution doesn't seem to be the best fit when we talk about how the world came into being. But, but I think that also kind of begs the question is, what about this? Could the creation story be a metaphor? Like, did those things have to actually happen the way that they did? And so I say, okay, maybe, maybe it's a metaphor. But in order for us to be able to say that the creation story isn't literal, we need a good reason to confidently say that. Like, I think the, the biggest motivation, the biggest reason we would want to call it a metaphor is just how nuts it is. Like, there is just nuts stuff happening in that creation story. But 
But honestly, if we zoom out a little bit, the, the whole Bible is full of nuts stuff. I mean, crazy stuff is happening all the time. God is doing miracles. He is, he is showing his divinity. Jesus does crazy things. And so I kind of ask, hey, man, if should we just say that the whole Bible is a metaphor for something, for, for uh, who knows what, for something else, just because there's miraculous events? And I don't, I don't think so. I think that's irresponsible especially when the authors themselves clearly don't treat biblical stories as metaphors, but as historical narratives. And they they talk about it in a way that it's recording true events in history. At the same time, there are some things in the Bible that are non-literal. So for example, in Proverbs, it talks about wisdom building a house. She calls to the simple. She invites them to her house. She talks to the people that aren't wise. That's something non-literal that's communicating a biblical truth. Wisdom is not physically a woman trying to have people over to her house. But it's talking about wisdom in a way that it's it's inviting. It's not like, you know, just hidden off somewhere. It's, it's openly inviting people to come seek wisdom. And so the question is, hey, if we know there's some things in the Bible that are non-literal, and some things in the Bible are literal, how do we know which is which? And here's kind of the answer. We look to the Bible to see how it talks about that thing or event. It's not a picture where it's us as the authority over the Bible deciding what's literal and what's a metaphor. It's the Bible as the authority over us, and we come humbly before it, seeking to understand it, seeking to understand what it's saying. And so let's take that, let's apply that to the creation story. The New Testament talks about Adam. I don't know if you knew this. It talks about Adam as a historical figure many times across many different books. Adam is included in genealogies, which would be like a history of of families in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Paul, in writing to the Romans, he's going to build some key points in his understanding of God around the existence of Adam as a historical figure. And so he's clearly treated as a historical figure throughout the Bible. When Jesus talks about him, when Adam talk, or when Paul talks about Adam, it's not as a metaphor, it's as a historical figure. And so I totally understand the creation story. It's nuts. But at the same time, how do you tell the story of an omniscient, eternal, all-powerful God creating the universe out of nothing without an unusual and miraculous story. Like that that just has to be nuts in nature. And so I don't think that the Bible gives us any reason to believe that the creation story is non-literal. It seems to be a historical event. And so the last thing that I wanted to be sure that we addressed is, is dinosaurs. Like where are dinosaurs in the Bible? Like if we have all of these fossils with dinosaurs and these T-Rexes and all these crazy things, where are those guys? And so this is kind of funny. I was reading an article not too long ago trying to get a better grasp on this area. Um, And I I think I'm remembering right. The first dinosaur fossils were found in the 1800s. And there was one guy at the time who came out. He was like, you know, coming out on behalf of the church, I guess. And he was saying that the fossils were a satanic deception that Satan himself, the devil planted these fake fossils to make us not trust the Bible. 
<laughs> which I was like, dude, that's so nuts. That is like the wildest theory I've ever heard. And thankfully we have some better thought out positions now. Thankfully that's not what we're still saying today about to just deny the dinosaurs, but there's kind of a couple different views in regard to, to where the dinosaurs fit in. And so here's the first one. The first would basically be this is that the, in the story of Genesis, when it talks about these days of creation, these seven days where God creates something different on each day. What's interesting is that on day one, it talks about day, you know, it's already talking about days, but then the sun itself is not created until day three. And so I'm like, how do you measure the period of time without the sun? Like what is day referring to before the sun? And so some people would take the position of like, Hey, when it says a day, that's actually kind of just a term for a longer period of time. And so each day is a period of history. And they, those people would say, Hey, the earth is actually very old and the dinosaurs were created and actually died out before mankind was created. So that would be one perspective. Another perspective would be this, the dinosaurs and humans did coexist. That interestingly, there's actually a ton of cultures all over the world with depictions of dragons. Like if you go to ancient England or if you go to ancient China, both of them have dragons. How did they both know to draw a dragon or talk about a dragon? There's some dinosaur looking creatures in cave paintings. And so what the, the implication would be there is that carbon dating would kind of have to be off on some age predictions. But, and so there's, there's kind of some things that you would have to work through with this. Um, but those people would say the earth is younger, that God created the earth. Um, humans and dinosaurs were alive at the same time, but at some point in history, the dinosaurs died off. And so that's kind of just a, a quick overview of a couple different stances. I think there's good arguments for both. Um, I don't have a strong opinion on which seems to be more convincing, uh, but wanted to be able to speak to that. I know a lot of people have questions about, man, if the dinosaurs aren't even mentioned in the Bible, what do we do with that? But at the same time, there's tons of stuff that's not mentioned in the Bible. There's, you know, atoms aren't mentioned in the Bible and there's all kinds of realities that aren't mentioned in the Bible. And like I said, that's not the purpose of the Bible to just explain the whole history of the world. Instead, the Bible is there for us to know God, to build a relationship with him, to understand how he relates with his people. And so I'm not going to go into a ton more detail beyond that. If that's interesting to you, then I'll include one or two resources for you to learn more about the, the age of the earth and dinosaurs in the show notes. And so you can feel free to follow those links and learn more about those things. But really, as we're, we're reaching the end of this podcast and some of these different questions about creation and the Bible, I just want to point out that something amazing to me is that though there are some things like that, that the Bible doesn't speak to directly, there's also a lot of incredible things that it does very clearly talk about. The Bible says that God is the ultimate designer. He's the source of all things. That God created a complex universe that brings him joy. And it brings us joy too, that there's so many good things as a part of his creation, that food, it tastes amazing. It could have been just like a pill. It just gives us sustenance, but it's not like that. It tastes 
awesome. There's all these flavors and different variation that, that there's sunsets and they're beautiful and God created sex. It didn't have to be enjoyable, but it is. And it's the way by which we, we fill the world that there's order and consistency in the world. There's predictable laws and patterns that, that govern the universe. They prevent things from being chaos and that God himself is actively sustaining things. He's keeping the world working. He's enforcing the very laws of nature. And all of these things, as the Bible talks about them, they help us to see God as he is in his majesty, his wisdom, his power, his goodness. And I think it's also an invitation for us to trust him. As he's revealed some things to us, he's answered some of our questions, but some things he hasn't. Some things belong to him. And he'll invite us to trust him with that. And so hopefully as we've talked through these different things, I I hope that this has been helpful for you in answering some of your biggest questions about creation. But if not, like I said, I'm going to include a couple resources in the show notes for you to be able to learn more, to take a deeper dive if you decide to. I'd love to hear from you guys. If you want to reach out and ask me anything, my email is rob.blankenship, B-L-A-N-K-E-N-S-H-I-P at stumo.org. And so you can feel free to reach out to me, shoot me an email and ask me anything. Um, You can also find all the other breakout sessions on Apple and Spotify at SMC 2022 podcast. If you want to turn there, I know that that is going to be so helpful for you to continue to take steps in your walk with God, in your faith. Man, it has been amazing. I hope you guys have learned so much from this. Thanks so much.